Welcome everyone to episode 151 of the TLDR podcast. We are a man short. Traden is not here today. He should be back next week. He's off in Mammoth and then Canada and then who knows what else he's doing. Um, But that means no hockey update. We've only had one game since the last recording anyway. Uh, So the Golden Knights are up one, one, nothing. And, you know, we'll probably go over the Stanley Cup final more uh, next week when trade-in is back. It will most likely not be over by then. Or maybe we'll do a little recap. Don't know. Don't care. Train's not here. That's his problem. But James is here. James, how are you, my man? I I am feeling better. Hmm. Still not 100%. So a little sick update. My congestion's pretty much gone. I don't cough anymore. I can run five miles in a row without dying. So that's a plus. But uh, also, I don't have work this week for the first time in all year. So I'm going to just take it and rest and golf and hang out with friends. And I'm very excited. I'm glad that you were feeling better. Tyler, could you say you could run five miles without dying? No, um, I've never been able to run five miles without dying. So if I'm <laughs> sick or completely healthy, it's just not, uh, it's not something that's within my athletic ability at all. <laughs> okay. Other than other than not being able to do that, how are you? I'm good. Um, yeah, actually had a, actually had a full weekend to go down in Carlsbad and kind of visit with the fiance's family last weekend, and it was just full on relaxation, hanging out. Uh, so it was really fun. Uh, it was good. This week I get to golf with James for the first time in a long time, so I'm excited for that tomorrow. So that'll be good. Hopefully, I mean, training's going to be gone this week, so I would have been able to play hockey with him on Thursday, but he's gone because so. God damn it, trading. But anyway, uh, yeah. So everything's good. You know, uh, work is. You know, it's like half days. So definitely, it's it's like it's like a half break for me. I'm not fully off work like James is, but it's I'm like half off work. So I'll take that. Yeah, we like that. I'm never not off work because I don't. I work a normal nine to five job, but that is oh lame. Yeah, whatever. I work from home, so it's all good. Uh, we're just gonna jump right into it. Tyler is gonna take us through our oh dams. So Tyler, what you got? All right. Oh, damn. MLB. Uh, we are one third of the way through the season as we enter the month of June here. We're, we're already at that point. So we're going to kind of get into some of the biggest surprises and biggest disappointments so far. Um, and we're we're kind of going to go from there. Um, also, if you guys are into college baseball, I don't know if you're not, but the uh, regional started this weekend. I've been full on into those. I probably watched more college baseball last weekend than MLB. So I had to refresh myself a lot from what happened over the weekend in, in uh, Major League Baseball. But Hey, we're, we're, we're still here and we're, and we're still going to give it to you guys. So, um, biggest surprise, biggest disappointment. I asked, uh, you can be, it could be a player team, whatever you feel from the MLB season so far, James, what do you got? The Texas Rangers, biggest surprise. It's incredible, man. Like who, we didn't even think that they were going to be this good as a, as a podcast, right? We were like, AOS is going to be Houston for sure. We had the, we had a, like, the Mariners up there, and then we had three or four as the Texas Rangers. They're in first, and they're in first by a lot. And they're one, of, they're one of the best teams in the league. They have the best differentials in the league at plus 152. More than T- Tampa Bay. Nathan Eovaldi, I called him out for being injury-prone, and he's having a stellar, stellar year. Might be the best of his career so far. Incredible. And then Marcus Simeon, dude, this guy is almost scoring a run every single game. He, he like it's what is going on in Texas? I don't know, but that is my biggest surprise. Yeah, I like that. Um, I think Texas certainly we we said kind of one of those teams that maybe could be really good, maybe could be really bad, but they've they've had a phenomenal start to their 2023 season. Um, Alex, what do you got for your biggest surprise? 
Biggest surprise going to stick in the National League West. Uh, I think it has to be the Arizona Dimebacks, especially when you look at them from two years ago when they were a 100-loss team. We kind of saw them starting to get better uh, last year. And now this year, you know, a, a mixture of young guys. You know, Zach Gallon is a Cy Young candidate. Corbin Carroll, rookie of the year type candidate. Um, you know, they made like that that big kind of underrated trade with Farsho and um, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And like, it's kind of one of those win-wins. Like both Farsho has been great for the Blue Jays and Gurriel has been fantastic for the D-backs. And, you know, they're currently sitting tied with the Dodgers at the top of the NLS. And, you know, unless something crazy happens, you know, they probably need another pitcher or two, but they could definitely be fighting for potentially the division and definitely a playoff spot. 100%. You know, Dimebacks, again, one of those teams that, you know, I think we're kind of starting to rebuild in a positive direction, but the way that they have stuck around with the Dodgers all season long has been very impressive. Um, definitely something that no, I don't think anyone expected from the, from the D-backs this year. Uh, so, yeah, for me, I agree with you, James. I think for me, it's the Texas Rangers, just in the fact, not just because they're winning, but because of how well they're playing. Like you said, you mentioned the best run differential in, in baseball. They are pitching super well. They've gotten, like I said, huge uh, contributions from Eovaldi. Uh, um, a lot of their, you know, kind of younger guys are really stepping into their own. And that's with, you know, our, I would say their best position player, Corey Seager, and their best pitcher, Jacob deGrom, out for a decent amount of time early in the season. So I think that speaks to the depth and just how well of a rounded of a baseball club the Rangers are. So I think for me, it's just surprising just the fact that they've, they've dominated. I mean, they've, they've been one of the best, I would say, a top three team in baseball all season long. Um, and right now they're they're in a pretty good spot there atop of the um, American League West. So for me, it's it's the Texas Rangers. So let's move on to the other side. The the uh, sad news, the biggest disappointment of the 2023 season. James, what do you got? Trey Turner. Um, I was a huge Trey Turner fan before this season began. Free agent. I was like, this guy, wherever he goes, that team is going to be set. I was wrong. He signed for 11 years, 300 plus million dollars. He got paid and is underperforming. His batting average is 232, which is the lowest since his rookie year. His on-base percentage is low. His slugging percentage is low. Everything is pretty much a career low for him outside of his rookie year in terms of the offensive side of, of the ball. And it doesn't look good. And he's just like not hitting the right spots at the right time. And it's hurting his team. The Phillies were in the World Series last season. Right now, they're, they're fourth in the NL East. They, they, they don't look good. And I think it's because... They spent so much money on Trey Turner that they couldn't put money anywhere else in their lineup or their pitching staff. Then that was just starting to suffer, and the, and the payment of Trey Turner is not paying dividends at all. Yeah, that's really that's a really good one. I think that that's a, a great point, especially coming out of off the World Baseball Classic with how great his performance was. I think a lot of people, especially Philly fans, were really excited to have this guy locked down for eleven years. You know, one of those things is just you, you get, they go through slumps sometimes. It it's the start of a, of a, of a large contract, um, like that. And it, I think it's, it worsens it. It's, it's kind of like, you know, he's, he's pressing, he's, he's trying to live up to that contract, but certainly Trey Turner, I agree with you. One of the biggest disappointments from a player perspective this season, Alex, what about you? What's your biggest disappointment so far? Yeah, I'm going to go another team, you know, not the teams we've talked about a lot with like the Cardinals and the Padres, but James's favorite team, the Seattle Mariners. Um, you know, after they finally, they finally break their playoff drought last year, you would think, you know, they get a full season of Luis Castillo. They make that trade for Teoscar Hernandez from the Blue Jays. You're like, okay, the Mariners, it's finally time. They're young. They're like coming up. The bullpen looks good. You know, Ty France, Cal Raleigh, big dumper. Like this is a good, like young core. They kind of got it going. 
they've just kind of come out a little flat. Like they're a game under 500. They're nine and a half back of the, you know, obviously the Rangers who are playing very well, but they're still behind the Astros. They're also behind the angels and they're six back in the wild card. And the wild card is in the AL is going to be brutal. I mean, the Orioles are obviously playing really well. Someone has to win the AL central. So like technically that takes a spot away, but you know, in front of them is still the Yankees, Toronto, the angels, Boston, like, it's a tough road. Like they better get going sooner rather than later, or they're going to start another drought. And like you looked at Seattle and you're like, man, that's so exciting to finally make the playoffs last year. And they just have not, you know, captured that like same fire they had last year. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. I like that pick. I, I agree with you that that AL wild card is, is loaded. I think even last year, there was a lot of teams in it. I think this year, there's probably one or two more teams that are now in it. That's making that just, it, it, it is, it is logged up there in the uh, American League wildcard race. And it's going to be tough. And I think you look at that, you know, that AL East, and we've talked about how good that division is probably expecting at least three teams from there, which means that takes two of the wildcard spots already. So there's only one wildcard up spot for grabs and it, it's going to be tough. So I, I agree. I think Seattle is one of those teams that needs to figure out another gear here pretty soon, or they're going to be, you know, like I said, probably starting a new playoff drought for, uh, pretty soon here. Um, I'm going to go with probably the obvious answer, which is the San Diego Padres. Um, you know, just in the sense, like, you know, this team was, was so hyped coming in the season with, with, with all the money they spent knowing, knowing that they were going to get for, I know Tatis back coming off, obviously that, that, that deep playoff run that they made last, last year. And they've just looked awful. They don't. And I think it's not even just, you can't even really point to any reasons other than the fact they're just not playing as a team. Um, which, which, is that which which is unfortunate it's not like they've had a, a ton of injuries um you know i we, statistically they've they've had guys that have been okay some guys that have been pretty 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 good um you know manny machado was really the only guy that's been hurt but um with how deep that lineup is that really shouldn't cost them that much but it's not even it's just that they're not playing okay like they're i think what going today like six games six games under 500 i think eight and a half or nine and a half back of the, of, of, of first place. That's not good. You know, we're, we're, we're going into, you know, June here and certainly expected the Padres to be sitting at least second in that division with a winning record. And there's not doing that. And like I said, they, they just don't look like a, a good team right now. Um, and it's really disappointing. Obviously there's no guarantee of success when you buy a bunch of, you know, high, na- high name players, you put them together for the first time. I understand it takes time and maybe they're just a sleeping giant ready to wake up and they'll go on a freaking crazy run the second half of the year and win the world series. Who knows? But at the moment they've been very disappointing. So, uh, for me, they, do you think if they go, it goes poorly still like they would trade Juan Soto because all the other guys they have locked up. Like, yeah. How can they afford all of these huge contracts? Like yeah, their, no, their system's terrible after trading like everybody away. Yeah. That's a great point. I, th- I think if they find themselves, where they are currently, you know, just completely out of a playoff spot. And it's going to take like some miracle of a run the last couple of months of the season to, to, to get in, into the playoffs. I can see them making a move like that. Cause like you said, their, their farm systems depleted. They, they got to figure out, you know, I think they were in win now mode and they're not winning now and they don't really have a long-term plan as of yet. So maybe needs, they need to start focusing on that because like you said, once these players are, you know, there's just, there's no farm system. So there's no real future other than what you have right now. And if right now it's not working that you have that locked up, that's a problem. So, uh, yeah, San Diego's not, not, not doing well. And they, they and they also, you know, can't broadcast their games. So that's another, oof. Yeah. um, so let's move on to, uh, some more kind of sad news. I know this is kind of a sad segment, but we'll get to some happy stuff later. Uh, yeah. 
some pitching injuries, uh, some, some, some pretty big, a couple of big names that I wanted to point out that recently in the last week, um, kind of came out. The, the first one was a guy who, who has been pitching this season and that's Chris sale from the Red Sox. Uh, he went back on the, on the injured list with shoulder inflammation. Doesn't look like it's too serious of an injury, but given sales, uh, injury history, especially the last few years, I don't think he's had a fully healthy season since 2017. Um, and he was coming back from Tommy John. Um, and you know, as, as part of that Red Sox rotation, really the only like pitcher on that rotation that that's considered to be an ace of ace on that staff. Um, just a guy that's been battling so many injuries and truly hasn't really been that, that strong, you know, all-star pitcher that we known him to be the, the guy that won the 2018 world series with, with, with the Boston Red Sox. Uh, so that's, that's the first one. He, he's back on the IL. Second one is a pitcher that we haven't seen pitch in a while. And that's, uh, Steven Strasburg of the, of, of nationals. Um, you know, he, we, there's some news that dropped last week that he has pretty severe nerve damage and doctors are pretty much where he, he may never, ever pitch in, in, in the big leagues again, which is, which is, which is a huge bummer. Um, this was a guy that was lighting up the league from the mound. He won the world series with the nationals in 2019 was one of the best young pitchers in baseball. And it looks like his career might be cut short, unfortunately, due to a, a, a pretty nasty nerve injury. Um, so of these two, obviously they're both a little bit different both different teams in different situations. But when the news came out about, about these injuries, kind of which one did you, were you more bummed out about either for the team or for the player for both kind of just, which one just, just bums you out more, uh, Alex, what do you got? Uh, I mean, it is Strasburg, but on a personal note, Chris sale is pitching pretty well and was on my fantasy team. So that is <laughs> less than ideal. Uh, don't worry guys. I'm still seven and two. So everything's fine. But uh, Strasburg, the Strasburg one is a brutal because you know, like he gave him everything to win that 2019 World Series. I believe he was the World Series MVP, and he hasn't pretty much has not pitched since then. Um, you know, remember he came out of San Diego State. He was like he was the most hyped pitching prospect we've seen in the last 20 years, probably coming like coming out of college. Um, you know, injuries right away. Kind of had up and down seasons, and then. Yeah. And then, and then for the nationals too, like the, his injury in the con, cause they, after the 2019 world series, they gave him this huge seven year two fifty type deal or whatever it was. And that has, and that kind of dead money has probably really derailed the nationals in their hopes of like continuing with, you know, being in contention for things. Cause now they're obviously in kind of in this rebuilding mode. So that's a bummer for Strasburg. Um, I don't know. Maybe the nationals have some sort of insurance policy. So they maybe don't have to pay him the whole contract. Uh, I'm sure he's made enough money over the years, but yeah, that's, that's pretty brutal for Steven Strasburg. Yeah. James, what about you? Alex real fast. Uh, I was actually reading a lot about this today. That contract is uninsured. So they, the nationals are on the hook for all of it. Oof. Every single penny. <clears throat> um, but my answer is the same as Alex's and it's Steven Strasburg, not just, because of the baseball side of it, but just the activities of daily living side of it. Uh, Strasburg can't function in day-to-day life anymore. He is having pain, tingling, and numbness, and he can't like stand up for more than two hours without his arm being numb. His surgery is insane. They, he had TOS with thoracic outlet syndrome. They removed one of his ribs and removed two of his neck muscles. So no wonder why he got some severe nerve damage, man. Like, they probably messed something up when they did that. And he can't live like a normal human anymore. He's got to like wrap his arm up to his chest when he walks around in order for not to, for it not to be numb. Like it's, 
it's a tough, tough way to go about it. And then, like Alex said, it hurts the team as well because this huge contract that is uninsured, they've got to pay all of it. But then you got to look at the personal note of it and it's like, damn, dude, it's going to be tough for you to live the rest of your life. He's only 34 years old. He's not old by any means as a human. As a baseball player, he's like middle-aged. But as a human, like he's only 34 years old. And that's tough. He's got to do the rest of his life like this. And that, that hurts you as a human. Definitely. I think, you know, the, these nerve injuries that you see and you know, nerve injuries, especially this severe are nasty, you know, and, and they're, they're really tough. And as James kind of pointed to it, you know, you're, you're talking more about trying to get your quality of life back more than just, you know, being able to be an athlete. Um, so for, for Strasburg, that, I think that's why this injury is so severe and, and why the, the news is so ominous in the sense that he may be able to pitch again, because they're just trying to, like I said, James mentioned, just trying to be able to, you know, walk, walk around and be able to, you know, put things up on a shelf and use his arm, you know? Um, and that, that's, you know, he's, he, he's going to be a, a non-baseball player in his life more than he will be a baseball player, hopefully. Um, so you definitely got to consider those things. So it, it, it is definitely Steven Strasburg, just considering like, it wasn't that long ago that this dude was the, the world series MVP. And like I said, a, a all-star Cy Young con- con- contender, just one of the best young electric arms and one of the best, you know, electric debuts of all time. Um, so if, you know, if, it, if this is it for, for Strasburg, even though the short career was, it, it, it was one hell, one hell of one. Um, but hopefully all the best is Steven Strasburg and Chris Sale. You know, I, th- I think Chris Sale has gone through a lot, you know, and hopefully he can make a return and, you know, help the Red Sox because they are in a, they, they are in a contending position uh, so far this, this, this season for the American League wildcard race. Uh, so let's move on to some happier news. Uh, Liam Hendricks. Uh, if you guys haven't heard this story, hopefully you have. But if not, uh, Liam Hendricks was diagnosed with with with, with uh, cancer last year, made a full recovery, uh, which is you know remarkable in it in it of itself. But he came back last week and pitched big league baseball for the first time this season. Um, and the the videos, if you haven't seen it, you go watch it. it it's amazing. He, he he was you know he came out on his on his on his home home field there in in. Chicago and the reception was incredible. I mean, he, he, he was moved to tears. His family was moved to tears. Obviously. I mean, the, 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 the comeback from something like that has got to be just so emotionally taxing something that you can only imagine going through. And on top of that, uh, last this past weekend, he actually got the win on national cancer survivor day. So again, if, if you still don't think the baseball gods are real, man, it's just another example for something like that to happen. So, I mean, just general thoughts and, and, and comments on this incredible comeback story from, from Liam Hendricks, uh, James, what do you got? I just want to give a quick shout out real fast before I talk about this to Matt Thice, who was the batter for the angels who was up at the time when Liam Hendricks came out, it took a sweet ass time getting in the, one of the batter's box that Liam Hendricks could take it all in. Cause we all know umpires nowadays are like pitch clock, pitch clock. And like they're unrelenting. So him taking his time, letting him do that. Incredible. The reception was amazing for Liam Hendricks. Like the entire pregame show, all about Liam Hendricks, him coming back for the first time and him being out there the day he comes back was insane. And it's, I almost cried and I wasn't even there. Like watching how the crowd reacted, watching how he reacted to it, I was almost brought to tears. Like happiness, elation, joy. He's finally out here. And it's really, really cool to see. And it's it's incredible to me how he still went out there and pitched anyway. If that was me out there, I'd be so overcome with emotion. I wouldn't be able to control anything, man. But to go out there and throw balls and throw strikes and get a couple people and get out of the inning, like, wow. 
that speaks volumes to who he is mentally as a human being and how much people love him. That was really cool. For sure. Um, you know, Liam Hendricks, I think even before this story was, you know, one of the more popular and well-liked players in baseball. So, um, you know, even if he was, you know, a, you know, an up and down guy, you know, it would still be impressive, but the, you know, the fact that he was already, you know, one of up there in, in terms of popularity, especially for a re relief pitcher, which is not easy to do. Um, you know, a lot of people were really tuned into this, but Alex, what do you got on this guy? Yeah. I mean, it's crazy. You know, you think of him, he was an all-star last year, um, you know, pitched at Dodger stadium in the all-star game. And the fact that he came back like this quickly, um, is just, is an amazing story. And obviously like the, him being so moved and his family being so moved and, you know, yeah, the, the angels did a great job and the white Sox did a great job. And, um, you know, hopefully this just means that he can, you know, put this behind him and just focus on, focus on baseball and his family. And, um, and Hey, you never know, like he could kind of be a tied to get behind for the white Sox. Like they've been really disappointing last year and a half. And maybe this is sort of a rallying point for them. And, you know, they're only five and a half back in, the, in a very shitty division. And, um, yeah, it's it's a cool story and glad that glad that he's okay and can can you know do what he loves again. For sure. Definitely a great motivational uh story there for for baseball. Yeah, like I said, it's White Sox, you know, I was looking at that today. I was like, we're only five and a half back. Obviously, it has to do with that how how bad that division is, but you know, there's there's a chance that this could potentially be a huge motivational turning point for for this team. And, you know, maybe Liam Hendricks for the very small minimal role that he plays on the team from terms of baseball's perspective can really bring a huge impact. So um, I think, I think that's awesome. So con congrats to Liam Hendricks and his family. Uh, Well-deserved on, on, on that comeback. Um, let's we're gonna wrap this up with a city connect Jersey grade. Uh, we had another one of those jerseys drop. Uh, the Baltimore Orioles had theirs um, debut a couple weeks ago. Um, so we're going to, I'm going to share my screen here with you guys. For those of you that are listening to this, uh, pretty much all black, uh, white font that says Baltimore. Um, what kind of gives this jersey a little bit of flair is the sleeves and the collar. Um, as you can see, um, it's got a little bit of these kind of cool patterns on it, um, on, 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 on the sides, um, which are, which, which are pretty cool. And then you look at the hat, which is kind of this old school Baltimore logo. Um, and the pants are also black, by the way. So th this is an all black Jersey, uh, more black pants. Man. It's just, it's a freaking epidemic. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much what we got here for, for Baltimore Orioles. But, um, Alex, let's start with you with the ratings. Yeah, I, I think this one's fine. Like I, I originally, when I saw them like release the things, you know, with like the teasers or whatever, I didn't know how I felt about the camo, uh, whatever. Okay. So it's a representation of the neighborhoods of Baltimore. That's actually kind of cool. I've changed my mind. That's dope. That's the whole point. It's to connect with the city. This is cool. I don't really care about the black on black Jersey and pants as much as you do. Um, I do. I like the hat. I, I really think the Orioles like bird hat, their kind of normal one is one of the best hats in baseball. So I'm a little sad that that's gone, but I think it kind of all fits together. I'm going to give us a 8.2. I like this one. All right. 8.2 from Alex James. What about you? So if you've listened to all the episodes, you kind of know they're like simple, modern, kind of minimalist things. Uh, but there's, oh, you can go too simple. And this is it. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> there's, <clears throat> sorry, there's like not much really going on except for the sleeves, like you mentioned. And how often are you going to see those sleeves? It's like, 
maybe an inch and a half is all you're going to see. For the most part, people are going to have their collars buttoned up, so you won't see the inside of the collar. That's like, and it's just it's just a black jersey with white lettering, and that's pretty much it. That's what you're getting. That's too simple for me, man. Uh, the hat, though, I really enjoy the hat. The hat is like one of those hats that you can wear on any occasion because it's it's so simple and so modern. It has a bee on it, but it's elegant, and that's kind of what a hat is, right? And like the bee kind of reminds me of Bad Birdie, so I, you could wear this hat on a golf course, which would be cool. Uh, the hat is a saving grace for me. The jersey itself is kind of eh. So if you average out the scores, kind of put them together because it is a uniform, I'm going to give this like a 5-8. Okay, 5-8 from James. Uh, James, I kind of agree a lot with a lot of what you said on, on this jersey. Um, you know, I, I love the hat. I think the hat's really cool. Um, Alex, I also kind of agree with what you said. I think there's some City Connect jerseys that are kind of at a losing point because their regular jerseys are just so good. That it's kind of hard to like kind of one up those. I think Baltimore, you know, as much as I despise the color orange, like they, for whatever reason, theirs is really good. I I love that uh, Baltimore uh, logo. Um, and like I said, I think they could have done more with maybe the jersey itself. Like the Baltimore script is just a little bit plain, James. I agree. It's just there's not a lot going on there. I think they could have done more with the color because um, I think it's cool, like, you know, with the neighborhoods and, and all that stuff. And there's a lot of color involved in it, but it's just barely there. Um, so I think they could have done a little bit better, but there are certainly components to it that I, that I do like. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a 6.2. I think it's, I think it's pretty solid, but definitely not my favorite. Um, got some good spots, got some bad spots, but, um, yeah, that's what we got for, uh, Baltimore city connectors. Let us know what you guys want. We're still counting the tally on all these year city connectors. I believe we have like two or three more that are scheduled to release at some point. Um, this season in baseball. So uh, we'll definitely uh, give those to you when they come out, but that's what I got for baseball this week, boys. Yeah. Thanks Tyler. Hopefully we'll get all the city connect jerseys at some point. I don't know why they're releasing them like years differently. Like it's kind of weird, like it out. do some more, but whatever. Um, but yeah, thank you. We'll take a quick break and then we're going to do a little recap of the NBA finals. We're two whole games in. So we'll, we'll see how it goes. All right. We'll be right back. Welcome back. The NBA Finals is headed down to South Beach. Games one and two are over. The Denver Nuggets won game one. Uh, It seems pretty handedly. And then you kind of look at the box score and realize they did not play that well into the second half. Uh, And then that's exactly what happened in game two. The Nuggets had a lead at half and after the third quarter. And Miami had a big comeback and kind of survived a potential game tying shot at the end there um, and Miami won by three points just a couple nights ago. So the series is tied one to one. If you haven't figured that out from the words that I'm already saying, and then game three will be down in Miami. But when we did the previews a couple weeks ago, um, you know, we talked about how important it was for Miami to win one of these games. We really thought it was important. They won game one, um, but now they get ahead home winning or, uh, you know, with the series tied one, one. So James, to start with you, how big of an advantage or like, you know, how much does the series now swing into the heat's favor? Uh, I think a very minimal amount. Okay. Um, this is the NBA finals guys. Like every game is going to be competitive. Every game is going to be a toss up and bringing it back to South beach is cool, but it's not like the heat have this amazing home court advantage. If anything, the team that has the best home court advantage would be Denver. 
And great, you won one there. But you going back to South Beach doesn't mean much about it. I mean, both teams are going to be battling out and both teams are going to be trying their best. And it's going to come down to some of the key moments in the game. And will it be different now that it's in South Beach? Not particularly. So I think the series being tied one-to-one is what we all expected. But there is no advantage either way. Okay. Tyler, do you agree? Disagree? I kind of disagree a little bit. I, I I think right now the advantage is in Miami's favor. It's just in the sense that they won the second game there and now they have that momentum and can take it back to their home crowd. So I think right now as we speak, the, the momentum and the advantage certainly is in Miami's favor. But as as James kind of mentioned, you know, you, you still got to play hard and, and th- those momentum shifts can happen very quickly. And, you know, Denver can come out in uh, game three in Miami and just have an, an insane you know, first quarter and continue that the rest of the game, just blow them out. And then all of a sudden the the advantage is right back in Denver's favor. So um, at the moment, I think Miami has do, does have a slight advantage. I think they should hopefully capitalize on that momentum coming back to their home crowd. If they can do that, obviously that that'll help pro- pro- propel them throughout the, throughout the rest of the series. But just like, you know, the advantage never is, is it's, it's never stagnant. It's, it's, it's always moving, but currently it's a little bit on my, Miami side right now. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, the advantage and, uh, you know, changes quarter to quarter play to play almost in the NBA finals. So I agree with James where, you know, I think a lot of folks expected one, one, I don't think anyone would have been surprised if Denver was up two Oh, just based on how well Denver has been playing at home all throughout the playoffs. I think everyone would have been shocked if it was two Oh Miami at this point, but, um, you know, in, in game one, Miami really did not shoot well. They missed just a lot of like they had, they had the open shots. They just didn't hit them. And sometimes that's just what happens game two. They definitely hit a lot of open shots. I think, uh, Struess had no points in game one and had nine points after the first quarter or something like that. So he, you know, they just, they started playing well and you know, it will come back and forth. I do think you got to give, you know, if you give it like a percentage, it's maybe like 55, 45 in the heat's favor. I still think we can, Generally, I'll agree that Denver is the better team. Doesn't necessarily mean they will win the whole thing, but um, at least, at least for right now, Miami's riding high. They get to go home, um, and we'll we'll kind of see what happens from there. But some interesting comments from uh, the Denver's Denver's head coach Mike Malone after Game Two, and direct quote is: "Effort is a huge concern." And we he said he even said that referring back to Game One, where you know he said the Nuggets didn't really pull. We didn't really play that well. You know, obviously we got the win and then they come into game two, blow the lead, you know, have to kind of come back a little bit. It, it falls short. It's like Tyler, what, what kind of like, look does that give off for your team? That has been again, the number one seed pretty much throughout the regular season and generally had an easy, easy ish path to the playoffs. They've only lost three games in the entire playoffs so far. Well, until the final. So what kind of look does that give off if you're a Nuggets fan, a player? Yeah, I, I think you're a little bit worried about it, um, just in the sense that, you know, I think it, when when Denver's getting tested and, and, and they have these moments where they're close, it does seem to be uh, something that has been consistent where, you know, when things get tough in a pressure situation, they tend to kind of start to feel sorry for themselves and maybe don't play at a high of enough effort. He's, he's made, I think Mike Malone was really referring to defensively um, and, and, and kind of out toughing uh, Miami. Um, I think it's a concern that seemed to be echoed by the rest of the team. So I think the team's on the same page that it's a, it's a problem that needs to be addressed. 
uh, especially as we expect a lot of these games to be very close. I don't think we expect a lot of blowouts in, in, in the series. So when it comes down to it, you know, it's a lot of teams that make the high effort plays and who's going to out will the opponent. Um, and certainly in game two, Miami was that tougher team. Um, I think the only reason that Denver won that game one was just because they had such a huge lead going in the fourth quarter, but it was the same situation where it was kind of lack of, I think that one you can kind of point up to the fact they were up by so much that I think it's naturally, it's really easy to kind of lose your focus when you're up by so much, but with a team like Miami that never gives up, you can never relent. So um, I think it's a concern, but it seems like a concern that is shared am- amongst the whole team. I don't think it's one person's point of view, which is good. I think and I think that's a problem that can be fixed. Um, I think it's just something that needs to be echoed in time. It's, it's, it's one of those things that you control. You, you, you can always control effort, right? So um, hopefully it's just a, it's a message that, you know, Mike Malone just really, you know, he was very adamant about it and it got uh, to the media, got to everybody. You know, so now it's time to for, for them to make the adjustment. So obviously everyone's going to be paying attention to that effort on defense for the Nuggets in the fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, Mike Malone obviously was not shy about it. He said this during the press conference that they do after every single game. This was after game two in front of all the national media. So yeah, he was, he was definitely not shy about it. But James, kind of same question, but like this is the NBA finals. Like you should be giving it your all at this point. There's nothing to lose. I mean, there's everything to lose, but you're not saving energy for a potential next series. After the series is over, you get months and months off. So like, what are your thoughts on Mike Malone and these, and these comments? First of all, Alex, I definitely want to agree with you. Like, yeah, you got to give it your all. Um, but in terms of the comments, I think Mike Malone was calling out two players specifically, and that is Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. after game two. In game one, they were electric. Like Jamal Murray was shooting his threes. He was doing his thing. Michael Porter Jr. was going off in the first quarter. Like that was insane, right? In the game two, they were terrible. Like they started off so bad offensively, defensively. Um, It was like they just got like punched in the mouth and never got back up. That's what it looked like to me. But then you look at the game plan and the adjustments that Eric Spolster had, one of the greatest coaches in the NBA right now. He put in Kevin Love. What did that do? It allowed Jimmy Butler to go guard Jamal Murray. Oh, oh my God. You shut down Jamal Murray. You shut down Michael Porter Jr. This is what you're getting. It played into the Heat game plan. You're going to let Jokic get his. Because he, he will get his. But what you got to do is you got to take away the role play that the Denver Nuggets have. In game two, they were shut down because Jimmy Butler's dog on the defensive end. Coming into the league, he was a defensive specialist. And being able to rotate over and cover, cover Michael Porter Jr. takes away a lot of that offense. And yeah, you can let Joker get 40-plus. That's fine. You'll still take the L. And as you've seen in the playoffs, every single time Joker scores 40-plus, they lose. If you take away the role players of Denver Nuggets and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, you're, you're set. And that's exactly what they did. And is Mike Malone calling out Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr.? Absolutely, as he should. Because it's the NBA Finals and you got to give it to all every single game. It doesn't matter if you're getting shut down on the offensive end, go play defense. It doesn't matter if you're getting shut down on the defensive end and getting scored on, go play some offense. There's two sides of this game. Play both sides in order to win. Yeah, and I think I do think Mike Malone did a good job of you know, calling somebody out but not doing it by name like we saw with the Cardinals manager and that complete fuck-up of a situation where I'm sure everyone in that nuggets locker room knows that he's talking about those those two specific players but he doesn't necessarily have to say that to the media and throw his players 
you know, quite like under the bus. I think this is just his way of kind of trying to pick them up and go, look, we need more from you, especially the like, you know, after Jokic, those are kind of your next two guys. Like those are your dudes. So you, yeah, you need them to, you need them to get going. Uh, a, a, and then the kind of last topic on the nuggets and, you know, these, these games until we kind of see what happens, uh, following, you know, games three, four and five, but, um, you know, in the Lakers series, it seemed like the nuggets were up in every single game, pretty big at one point. And every single one of those games at one point, you know, within the last three minutes were, was down to one possession. We saw in game one, Tyler, you mentioned it, you know, the nuggets were up big and the heat kind of crawled back a little bit. In game two, the Heat completed that that crawl back and won game two. So, and now the Nuggets have to go to Miami, obviously, as we've already mentioned. Is the Nuggets, maybe it's kind of linked to this effort uh, portion of the tide. Do you think like the Nuggets closing out games, is is it going to be a problem for the rest of the series? Especially as you're one of the, you know, I like myself who picked the Nuggets to win the series. Is it making you a little little iffy about your pick? A little bit. Uh, Obviously, I think, you know, Teams that are great are one of the reasons, you know, teams win championships because they're able to close out games in, 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 in any sport. That, that, is, that is arguably one of the most important components of a great team is being able to finish what you start, right? So uh, the Nuggets have gotten away with it because of, you know, I think they built up such huge leads and I think they've, they've, they've gotten through a lot of these, you know, kind of fourth quarter collapses a little bit. Um, but it's definitely an issue against a team that, like I said before, they, this, this, this heat team does not have any quit in them. So the nuggets have got to figure out a way to play a better fourth quarter as, as, as a team, whether it's effort related or, you know, just execution related, whatever it is, they got to be able to finish out that fourth quarter because they're going to lose a game or two. And that can be the, the, the difference in this series. If they continue to fall apart in the fourth quarter, James, as the one person on the pod who picked the heat, does this now give you a little half chub thinking like, okay, this is looking better for me because the Nuggets can't close games out? Absolutely. And I mean, it, it's not just the Nuggets, right? It's every single team in the playoffs against the Heat in the fourth quarter. It's not a Nuggets-related problem per se in the finals. It's just that the Heat in the fourth quarter, when they're losing, are fine. It's like they look at the scoreboard in the fourth and they're down by like 20 and they're like, okay, bet. They play their best basketball. Jimmy Butler plays horrible for three quarters. Fourth quarter, look, he's hitting threes. He's driving the lab getting and ones. Who, where was this all game? For some reason, it doesn't come alive until the last seven minutes of the game. Well, that doesn't matter. That's who the Heat are. That's what they do. The only way you beat that as a Nuggets is be up by 25 plus after, like, at, towards the end of the fourth quarter so that Spo pulls the starters. If that happens, cool. You got the dub. But how hard is it to get a 25-point lead? in the NBA, in the NBA Finals. That's difficult. And so if the Nuggets can't do that, they're going to lose, which is phenomenal for me and my bets. Thank you, Heath. <laughs> yeah, everyone, let's just make sure James gets his money because uh, <laughs> it's important for whatever reasons. But yeah, I mean, we've, we've said it time and time and time again about this Heat team. They've got that dog in them. They've got that fight. And they do. They look... I wouldn't say the word comfortable, but at least they're, they know that they have the personnel. They know they have the, the effort level to come back in the fourth quarter and make these comebacks all throughout the playoffs. So, um, yeah, you know, the nuggets are going to have to be, be wary of that. And, you know, yeah, it's unrealistic for, to them, for them to expect to be up by 25 every night. You know, they're going to, they're going to have to have to, you know, 
buckle their shoes or whatever the, the phrase is, but um, <laughs> that's, that's it for, for the NBA this week. Um, you know, everyone enjoy games uh, three and four in Miami game three is uh Wednesday night. So uh, potentially we'll talk about game, uh, game six or seven next week. Uh, I'm, that's what I'm hoping. Cause those are fun. Uh, but we're going to take another quick break. And then James is taking us through some more football topics. Welcome back, James. We are slowly crawling closer and closer to the NFL season. I think we're under 100 days now, if I'm remembering correctly. So what what's going on in, in the NFL offseason we need to talk about? Very, very, very little. I'm kind of <laughs> scraping at the bottom of the barrel here. But we got to talk NFL because that's what I like to do, and I have nothing else up my sleeve. So Dobbin Cook. We're going to talk Dobbin Cook today. Minnesota Vikings running back. Amazing running back, right? He's a great fantasy player, too. Typically, he goes in the first two rounds. He's 27 years old, four-time pro bowler, almost 6,000 yards rushing, 47 rushing touchdowns. He's the only player to rush for more than 1,100 yards for the last four seasons. Currently, there's talks of him being traded or cut. This is because the Vikings don't want to pay him his $10.4 million. And if they cut him, they can save $9 million in cap space. So I wanted to toss it to you guys. Do you think that he'll get traded, cut, or do you think he's going to restructure his contract to stay with the Vikings? Alex. I think he's going to get traded. I don't know why. I think it's a terrible idea, especially with that division potentially being kind of open a little bit now. I think they the Vikings can be a good enough team to win that division. Uh, if, if the Vikings do want to, don't just cut him. I feel like that's a mistake. If you want to trade him because you're you're you think Madison's the guy, then fine. But wait until preseason or OTAs or whenever when somebody gets hurt. It's inevitable that one of these running backs is going to blow their knee out and then try to get the highest the highest bid from somebody. At least get some picks out of there, do something. Um if he does get traded, not like I'm not predicting an injury. Um and I, it would be wild to do this in your own division, but watch out Chicago. They have a ton of cap space. They're a team on the rise potentially work. I know they've got, um, they're like younger running back who I'm forgetting his name right now. Uh, Herbert Khalil. What's his name? Khalil Herbert. Yep. Yeah. But like, if you, if you look at the bears and you think, okay, we have Justin Fields, you know, we've, we've made all, we've made the trade for GJ Moore. Like we're, we're kind of on the up and up. Get Dalvin Cook for the end of this contract, but he's still under 30. That's the magic number in running backs. You just never know, but watch out for the Bears. Tyler, what are your thoughts on Dalvin Cook? Traded, cut, or restructure? Yeah, it's it's a crazy uh issue. And kind of I'm looking into the researching, it's 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 wild. That's just the the construction of the contract and the the pros and cons to all those three options are are, are pretty interesting. I, I agree with that. So I don't think they're gonna cut him. Um I think that. Um, it doesn't save him as much cap space for one as if they trade him. And two, I believe if they wanted to cut him, they would have already cut him. If, 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 if I'm not mistaken, I think there's like a deadline or something like that, that doesn't exist for cutting people, but that does exist for trading people. Am I, am I right about that? Or am I wrong about that? Are you talking about the trade deadline? June 1st, isn't June 1st, some like big, Oh, date? that's when guarantees kick in. Okay. That's that. That's what I mean. Okay. So 
I think ultimately, I think what it seems like is that the Vikings do want to trade him. Um, I think that the, the, the team that has been out there that has been, you know, rumored to really want Dalvin cook and, and really wants to go for it is the Miami dolphins, um, which I think would certainly help their team a lot, you know, adding a, a, a like that. So I think if he does get traded to Miami, um, otherwise they're going to have to restructure the contract, which I don't know if Dalvin cook really wants to do. So, but then Dalvin cook can also say he doesn't want to go to Miami. So who knows? It's, 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 it's certainly a, an interesting, uh, situation with this, uh, you know, whole cap space deal, but, um, yeah, should be, should be interesting to watch and see where it goes. See, I disagree with you guys. I think he's going to be cut. The Dolphins did try to trade for him back in March, but that fell through because the Vikings wanted more. And now nobody's biting. It's post-draft. All the teams that needed a running back got the running back for cheap and younger. The Vikings are going to have to cut him. But I do agree with Tyler. I think he's going to go Miami. Miami being his hometown team. And like they already tried to trade for him. There is some want to be there. And playing under... Um, that offense with Mike McDaniel where running backs are featured and you have Tyreek Hill to stretch the field might be a good fit for Dalvin Cook. Moving on, we have other running back news here. Brees Hall was a rookie for the Jets last season, but he tore his ACL and meniscus in week seven. Prior to tearing his ACL and meniscus, 463 yards, four rushing touchdowns, 218 yards receiving and one receiving touchdown. And his yards per carry is 5.8 as a rookie for the Jets in seven weeks. He's good. He's very, very, very good. Reports coming out of camp right now is that he's doing great. He hit 22 miles per hour during OTAs running. <clears throat> he recently started cutting again. It feels awesome. Um, numbers and AI were like, yeah, he's going to have a strong comeback because he fits the outlier molded running backs who recover faster because of his youth and his 96th percentile athleticism and high draft capital. That's AI talking. Chat GTP, thank you very much. But Brees Hall, will he be ready for week one? Tyler. I think he will definitely I think he'll be ready for week one. I, th- I think that the 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 way he's being projected and the way things are moving along, it sounds like it's 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 a pretty good probability that he will be the the, the week one starter and be and, and be playing for the Jets. However, I don't I don't, the question is how effective is he gonna be? I think we've seen kind of cases from um, on both sides of guys coming back from an ACL injury, running backs specifically who have come back and seem to not have missed a beat. You got other guys that seem to kind of makes it takes a year or a few months to kind of really get their legs back under him. Saquon Barkley was a guy that, you know, came off an ACL recently, you know, it really only last season did he kind of feel like he really regained his former self versus I think, uh, was it Adrian Peterson? Like a, a while ago came back and just was like the same guy. So like who knows came back in six months, dude. Yeah. So you never really know how effective they're going to be when they come back. Um, so that's to be seen, but I do think that Brees Hall will definitely be ready to go by week one. Alex, will he be ready by week one? I kind of agree with everything Tyler just said. I think as long as there's no, as long as there's no setbacks throughout camp, he should be ready to go. Um, it's again, it is, it's how effective he can be. I it's unrealistic to think he's going to be six month Adrian Peterson turning around. Also, it's, uh, it, uh, you know, you can't expect him to be Adrian Peterson ever, but um, you know, it may not be the Saquon where it was like almost two full years before I really saw him kind of be go back to the, the Saquon that we, that we knew. And, you know, I would, you know, even say Saquon is not even, you know, like rookie year Saquon was prime Saquon. And I don't really think he was even there last year that much. So I think he'll be ready. Um, 
you know, again, it may be like potentially they try to use him just slightly less. And again, like now Aaron Rodgers is your quarterback. There may be less work for him in general. We've seen running backs, you know, like fantasy wise, even, you know, thrive with Rodgers as their quarterback, but who knows? Um, I, I, in overall, I think he'll be ready. I just think it may take a couple of weeks to really, really see him get back to what we saw, you know, in the first six and a half weeks, I guess, of, uh, of his rookie year. I like that. Um, if you guys haven't been listening to what Alex just said, or have been living under a rock or that cave where Aaron Rodgers was staying, Aaron Rodgers is a jet. And so I wanted to talk about the fantasy outlook that kind of what Alex just touched on of Brees Hall, because like Alex had mentioned, Aaron Jones was a fantasy God sometimes with Aaron Rodgers under center. Now you have Aaron Rodgers under center for the Jets and who have young wide receivers who have Brees Hall coming out of the backfield. What is your fantasy outlook for Brees Hall? Coming into last season, he was a second round pick, right? As a running back. That's really, really cool fantasy wise. But Alex, is he a first round pick this year or is he a second round pick or third round pick for you? I think it's tough to make him a first round pick coming off an injury and a new quarterback granted much better quarterback than what he had previously. Um, and maybe it's one of those things where he's doing at the beginning of the season, doing less patch pass catching out of the backfield. Cause it's a, that feels a little more like risky on your knees, potentially with, you know, someone coming in to hit you that way instead of running up the middle. But I, I would say he's maybe like a late round two, early round three, if you're confident and it, it it all kind of depends on how your draft draft falls. I don't, I don't know. He he may end up being a top 10, a top five running back, but it's, I feel like it's really hard to pick him in the first round coming off an injury like that. Uh, Just for everybody listening, Joe Flacco was a quarterback at the time while um, Brees Hall was healthy. So for sure upgrade Aaron Rodgers for sure. Tyler, first round, second round, third round, where'd you draft Brees Hall? Yeah, I, I would I agree with Alex here too. I think, you know, second or third. I, I think he definitely has the potential to be a first round level player. Um, but I think just coming off an of injury, it's so hard. As I mentioned, it really is a coin flip of how effective he's going to be, you know, co- coming off a, a serious injury like that. Um, so I think it's it's really tough to really bank on the fact that he's going to be good and picking him in, in, in the first round. But I think a second or third round is not a bad idea. I think this guy has all the tools in the world to be a very successful fantasy running back. Um, so I don't think it's that big of a risk, maybe second or third. First round, though, I think it seems a little early. Okay. That's cool. I disagree with you guys because I'm going to be keeping him on my team. He's one of my keepers, so therefore he should be a first-round pick. Moving on to the next su- last subject, we're talking another rookie quarterback here. Anthony Richardson. We're talking about rookies, sorry. Anthony Richardson is a rookie quarterback drafted by the Indianapolis Colts with a fourth overall pick out of Florida. The Colts have a new coach, Shane Staff, and Shane Steichen, and they also signed quarterback Gardner Minshew III earlier this offseason for one year, $3.5 million. Every report right now has Anthony Richardson, the rookie, just having the ball flying out of his hands with supreme accuracy and all of this athleticism. Everything is pointing up for Anthony Richardson. He's, they're currently splitting first-team reps between him and Gardner Minshew. Jim Ursay, the owner, who I it personally, I think he has way too much you know, hand in the cookie jar kind of thing, trying to figure out how to work this as the owner. Uh, but he recently said 
the owner recently said that Anthony Richardson will be starting this season. Take that how you will. I don't know if that means week one. I don't know if that means week 17, but he will be starting at some point this season. And it's weird that the coach didn't say that, but the owner did, whatever. But do you guys think that he should be starting week one or should he be sitting and learning like Aaron Rodgers did with Brett Favre? So day one starter or sit and learn kind of guy? Tyler, you first. I mean, if the Colts want to win, they should put Anthony Richardson in week one. Um, I think that he is, he fits the mold for what this offense wants to be. The offensive coordinator, they're coming from uh, the, the, the Eagles who we know the quarterback Jalen hurts, super athletic, um, you know, and that's the kind of offense that they want. And I think Anthony Richardson, no offense to Garnet Min, uh, Minshew, just a much better athlete. Um, so I, I think he's the guy that they see being that guy. And like I said, no, when it comes to being a quarterback in the NFL, it is an extremely difficult position. You know, Garnet Minshew has a few years under his belt um, as an NFL quarterback. So I think, I think he's more of a mentor. I don't think he's like meant to be there to be like the Colts starting quarterback. I, I, I think he's there to kind of help Richardson get to where he needs to be. Obviously Minshew also coming, coming from Philadelphia from, from being a backup there. So I think it's more of a, a mentorship role for Minshew. I think Richardson is the guy. I think if the Colts want to move forward and, you know, and have some, have some success, I think you might as well start week one, unless there's some, so for some reason they feel the coaches, he's not ready to go, but by all accounts and what the reports that we're seeing, he seems pretty ready so far. So um, I think the Colts will start Richardson week one. It's crazy how you say he's ready now after his second week of OTAs, but you know, you're the, you're the kind of guy that said Jalen Hurts is the next Patrick Mahomes. Big words. Can never have too many uh, wide receivers. Also, yep. Alex, throwing to you for all football things, but Alex throwing it to you. Start week one or sit and learn. I mean, I think that's a brutal comparison you gave to Brett Favre, to Aaron Rodgers, and Gardner Minshew. But it's a good point. My bad. <laughs> I see what you mean, though. I I think I I think he will start at some point in the season. I don't think it will be week one. Also, if you're the Colts, realistically, you're not competing for a playoff spot this year. I mean, your division is not very good, but your team's not very good. So. I don't think that they'll be competing for a playoff spot. I think this is going to be similar to Justin Fields two years ago or whenever that was where, you know, he, he sat for the first six weeks maybe, and then started. I think it's a, I think Richardson starts for the Colts before the halfway point of the season. I don't think it's week one, but I would like week four, five, six, seven, somewhere in there. Um, I mean, by that point, the Colts, I don't know what their schedule is, but they could be like one and five by that point. So, uh, like all, yeah, again, all respect to Gardner Minshew. He seems like a fun dude, but he is, he's more of a backup. He's not really a star, like a starting caliber quarterback in the league. So, um, yeah, we somewhere in the, in the middle, middle part of that first half is when I think Richardson will be starting for the Colts. I like that. You guys both the different answers. But I agree with Tyler. He's going to be starting week one because the Colts need to just start developing ASAP, in my opinion. In my opinion. I was also the same guy that said Gardner Minshew is like Brett Favre, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> um, that wraps up my segment. Thanks for listening. Thank you, James. Uh, and that wraps up the podcast. A little, kind of a little quicker one today. Um, yeah, trading. We missed you, buddy. Hope you should be back next week. Everyone just enjoy the rest of the NBA finals and the NHL finals. 
Uh, I know the the game two of the NHL finals is going on right now. Um, like, subscribe, do it all. Do it all. All that crap. You know, let us know what you think. Uh, if Brett Favre and Gardner Minshew are the same guy. All right. Have a great week, everybody.